We have done many wells, and uh, folks, uh, many of you give regularly to Water for Life. You can mark water on your on your uh, envelopes and how you give. But uh, we showed that to you just as a reminder uh, that we do build wells for life, and they estimate that it uh, uh, gives fresh drinking water for up to 1,000 people um, for the rest of their lives, and they most of them get saved. Well, I'm happy to report that you know as you give weekly and monthly, and we tabulate that, of course, and get, we actually had enough money come in that this week we built yet another well. How cool is that? Ain't God good? Yeah. You, I didn't think to ask this earlier, Dale. Do you know right off the top of your head how many we've built now as a church? I think that's number 10. I think that's number 10. Wow. That's so cool. Praise, can we give God praise? They're going to have fresh drinking water, and they're going to get saved, and their lives are going to be forever changed, up to 1,000 people. Praise God. If that's the 10th one, that's basically $48,000 that you've given uh, some was maybe matching, but for the most part, you've given the most of that. And I want to praise God for that because we're seeing lives change from that. Amen? That's the gospel. That's what it's all about, reaching people. And that's what we're doing for the glory of God. While we're talking about missions, I'm going to be making a phone call. Uh, we were going to do a Honduras missions trip, and then COVID happened, and everything hit sideways for several years. And uh, we're going to bring that back this year. And so if you're interested in that, I need to hear from you. I need to know kind of how many people might be wanting to go. I've led four trips over there. We build houses. We put people in homes. Uh, we call it a home there. Uh, here we would call it a shack. Um, it's an 18 by 18 wood frame that you build in one day, literally. Put a tin roof on, cut a door out with a chainsaw. Cuts are made with chainsaws. It's very rough. But for those people, they get off the floor. They get out of the streets. They have a home to live in. They are always, every time we've done houses, and I've built many over there, uh, they're always there to join you and, and pray with you, and they're, they're crying, you're crying. It's an amazing thing. And uh, so we're going to do that. It's a week in Honduras, so we don't have any dates or anything like that. But I do need to know who's interested. Anybody can do it. We've had teenage little girls, 12 and 13, go and hit hammer to nail and, and, and build. Women, men, you don't have to be uh, great at craftsmanship to be able to do something like that. Even I can do it. So um, anybody can. That's exactly right. Yeah, I'm not the most mechanically inclined fellow in the world, but uh, even I can do it. So it is for anybody that would like to go and wants to be a part of it. And just let me know because we'll be pulling that together. Uh, the small group leader meeting you were notified this week is going to be right back there, right after church. We won't be long, but I do need to address a few things. Um, I want to say this, last week we had six young people baptized in the Holy Spirit for the first time. Man, isn't God good? Or at least they had, or either that first time or they hadn't spoken tongues in a long time. I mean, Pete's little niece, 13-year-old Gabby, was just talking in tongues. Um, we had them as young as seven. Seven-year-old Lily Johnson, Dwayne and Deanna's little girl, was speaking in tongues, praying in the Spirit. Man, we saw God do some amazing things. Yeah, praise God. That's what we're praying for. Amen. I mean, we saw some young people and just got praying in the spirit. Uh, also, Pete and Geneva, their little girl that they have got now, Malia, little baby, uh, they were told that they would be notified Friday last week whether or not our options were they're going to do surgery on her or they're going to put her on oxygen. 
Well, after everyone prayed for her Sunday, they got a call from the doctor Tuesday and said, how about option C? She doesn't need anything. So God's a healing God. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. My son Aaron actually came forward for prayer, which is an absolute miracle in and of itself. It said his stomach and back had been just terrible pain for two, three weeks, and he was having a tough time. Came, wanted prayer. We came over for family night, Tuesday night, and uh, Holly said, hey, how's your back and your stomach? And he said, well, it's actually not hurting me at all. I've been great. Praise God. So God healed him. Amen. And I believe we're going to see results of what God did from Sunday for many, many years to come. And I want you to know I'm praying and believing for more of that. Amen. That's what I'm praying for, more of that. I'm praying the river of God flow in such a way that people are bombarding the doors to come in and meet with God. Somebody shout a good amen. amen. Well, today I'm going to start a series for the month of February called For the Win. Everybody say, For the Win. How many of you like to win? I love to win. And in fact, I have to be careful because I, I am a competitor from day one. I'm like one of those, you're going to have to kill me to win type of people. And sometimes I have to remember that when we're playing, you know, a game with a family and it's, okay, Dallas, I have to tell myself, Dallas, this is just for fun. <laughs> this is not about winning. This is just have a good time. And I have to, I got to be careful because that drive in me wants to win. And uh, I, I know we're going to preach a series on how you win in different areas of your life. And today we're going to hit winning with vision. I know you don't know this and didn't know it, but we're going to preach about winning with vision today. And I'm just going to, I felt compelled by the Lord today to just share with you what I see and where we're headed. So if you will, turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 26, verse 22. And no, I haven't forgot communion. We're going to do it at the end. Um, Genesis 26 and 22. And when you got it, shout out a good amen. Um, I wanted to go here because it's going to be familiar. We've been talking about our Rehoboth for a long time. And I just want to hit some things that I felt compelled I needed to. Because I felt like we needed to make sure our minds were in the right place for what God is about to do with our church. Genesis 26, 22 in the NASB. And if you got it, uh, in fact, why don't you just stand for the reading of God's word if you would. And then we'll have a short prayer. Uh, Genesis 26, 22, you see it on the LED screen behind me. I'm getting better at this. Amen. Um, he moved away from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. I love it. Wherever we're going, wherever God's going to open, there's going to be no quarreling over it. So he named it Rehoboth, meaning wide open spaces. Wide open could mean there, wide open like big, or it could be wide open like there's no hindrances for what God wants to do in that area. For he said, at last, dear Lord, ain't that going to be what we say? At last, the Lord has made room. Notice it's the Lord that's going to do it. Has made room, wide open places for us. And we will be fruitful. We will bear fruit. We will see God do incredible things in people's lives in that land, in that territory, in that region. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord Jesus, for this series, for the win. And we're going to learn how to win in certain areas of our life and relationships and finances and with vision, oh God, and with children and family. 
And I just pray right now, God, you would anoint us, anoint me to speak forth your word, not in word and tongue only, but also in power and in deed. I'm asking you, O God, to arrest our attention, O God. I pray, Father God, you deposit this vision in all of our hearts, God. And we're going to pray daily, God, until we see you do what you said you're going to do. I pray, Father, you'd anoint me to speak forth your word, and not only in word and tongue, but also in power and in deed. Let it fall in the good soil of our hearts and grow and bear forth fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Hold your Bibles up in whatever form you have. And let's declare, Father, today, this week, by your grace, I'm going to be a doer of your word and not a hearer only, deceiving my own self. Now, Lord, anoint my ears, anoint my heart, anoint my spirit, my soul, my mind, and my body to receive the truth of your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen, amen. High five two or three people and say we're going to win with vision. About 350 years ago, a shipload of travelers landed on the northeast coast of America. (laughs) The first year, they established a town site. The second year, they elected government officials. The third year, they elected officials, government, town people, the mayor, all the big wigs of this little town, planned to build a road five miles westward into the wilderness. Year four, the people tried to impeach the town government because they thought it was a waste of public funds to build a road five miles westward into a wilderness. I mean, who needed to go that far anyways? The comical yet sad part of this story is, and you've probably guessed it is Jamestown, but the sad and yet comical part of this story is, is that just four years earlier, you had people that had vision to travel 3,000 miles across an ocean in incredibly difficult hardships, losing half their amount of people, family, friends, and so forth. And yet in just a few short years, they can no longer see five miles down the road. They lost their pioneering vision. Isn't that what happens to us in the church? We have vision to go one step, we accomplish that step, and then we get settled, we get comfortable, we think God is good and we're good. We see God do great things like baptize six young people in the Holy Ghost, heal a couple of people, these are just what we know of, and then we think, well, praise God, we we saw it, we arrived, we're good, and we'll just go back to normal church. But I've got a question for you today. Why do we want our Rehoboth? I'm going to ask you a rhetorical question. I don't even want you to answer out loud, but just think within yourself. Why do you want a Rehoboth so bad? Why do we want our own building, our own property? Is it so we can go to a 1030 service and be normal again? Is it so we can be comfortable in something that's ours again? This is my church. This is where we go. This is us. Is it so we won't have to set up and tear down anymore and go through all of the complications that we go through on a weekly basis because of what we have to do? The answer to this is absolutely no. The primary reason we want our Hoboth is so we can win more people to Jesus Christ. 
It is so we can impact a community for Jesus Christ. It is so we can see God change people's lives. Somebody shout a good amen. Amen. And we realize that in a community in which we can we can infiltrate ourselves and influence it and have kind of a better time and a, and, a, and a more strategic location would be the best efforts to win more people. Yes, it's also going to be nice to have a morning service. Yes, it'll be nice to have a building of our own and all these things. But the primary reason and why we want our Rehoboth is because it's a neighborhood God wants to put us in to impact and win for Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. And that's everybody. That's from the least the people nobody else wants to the people everybody else wants. And I'm telling you, everybody's welcome. We God, we want our Rehoboth because we want to see God save souls. We want to see God bring prodigal sons and daughters back home. We want to see God take instead of six, six hundred, six thousand, sixty thousand, and baptize them with the Holy Ghost and turn Cincinnati upside down. We want to see God heal the sick and continue to give reports like this baby and my son and continue to give reports like Deanna that, hey, there ain't nothing there. It's gone. It's good. You're good to go. We want to see God restore marriages. We want to see God restore relationships and friendships. We want to see God put families back together. We want to see the whole person minister to and their lives transform. That is why we want a Rehoboth. It is not the building. It is the ministry to the people that will come to the building. Woo! I mean, there's no question that the next real big step for our church is to land in our Rehoboth, which I believe is very, very close. But once we're there, we can't excel and say, whew, praise God, we arrived. Now we can just let off the gas a little bit. No, I want to tell you something. I need you to hear me today. Our Rehoboth is not the end. It's just the beginning. Amen. Our Rehoboth, our place is just the beginning. Listen, it's the, that, that's going to be the time when the gas goes even harder, amen. That's when we're going to see God do amazing, amazing things. Praise the name of Jesus. I want to tell you what I see, and I don't want to scare anybody, but I, I, see, I see us in our own building with thousands of people. Is it because I have ideas of grandiose? No, I believe that's what God wants to do. He wants to save thousands of people. I see us in three or four services on a Sunday. Look, if your idea of nice church is for us to have our cute little building and worship at 1030 and you know everybody's name, you're not going to like where we're headed because we're not going to know everybody's name in our church. They're gonna, we're going to reach so many different people. We won't know one from the other. How long they even been in church? Somebody say amen. I'm telling you, I see it where we need that. I, here's what else I see. I see multi-campuses. I see campuses in Kentucky. I see them in Indiana. I see them in Ohio. We're going to have a tri-state ministry that reaches all kinds of different people from all kinds of walks of life. You say, Pastor, that's pretty big. I'm looking around this room, and I ain't seeing it right now. Look, I'm not moved by what I see right now here in the natural today. I'm moved by what I know God's put in my spirit, and I know where we're headed. There's a river of God that's going to flow in this place, and people are going to swim in it. And they're going to go find people, and they're going to bring them back and say, I don't know. I can tell you this is where you can find God. You can get healed. You can get saved. God will put your life back together. You'll have the presence of Almighty God. You want to meet with God? Let me take you where to go to meet with Him. That's what I see. 
I see a multicultural, multi-generational church. Well, uh, Pastor, I'm a little more comfortable worshiping with just white people. Then you won't like where the church is going. Well, I don't know. I just I want to worship only with black people. Well, you know, I just want to be with a Hispanic. Uh-uh. Where God's taking us is going to be multiculturals. We're going to have whites, blacks, Hispanics, Asians, Indians. I've been praying for years for it. A melting pot of all kinds of different people, colors, creeds, nationalities, cultures. We are going to a place where they may not even be able to greet you in your language. Pastor, yeah, you just lost your mind. Yeah, I have. Amen. I'm, I, am, I am bursting with vision for where God is going to take us. It's going to be multi-generational. From the oldest to the youngest, we're going to be able to do ministry. Do not discount the value of a little seven-year-old getting baptized in the Holy Ghost. She'll get in there in that kid's church and lay hands on other kids and they'll get the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Do not discount what God can do. And do not think, well, I'm older now. There's only so much I can do. Uh Uh-uh, you pray. God will hear your prayers and God will answer them. Somebody shout amen. Amen. Man, I see building used every day of the week. I I can see an indoor playground where moms can come in and drink coffee and have Bible study while their kids play in a safe environment that's climate controlled. I can see all kinds of Bible studies happening all week long. I see a 24-7 prayer time going on in the sanctuary. We're 24 hours a day, seven days a week. People are in and out of there praying and seeking God. And it is absolutely a house of prayer. I see after-school programs and a gym and all kinds of ways to be able to mentor young people after school and catch them before the world does. Somebody say amen. Oh, man, I see adults coming in and getting their GEDs and resume skills and computer skills. I see us impacting in all these kinds of ways. I see outreach where people's needs are being met, where they know they can come and get a hot meal. How cool would it be at night to have an open kitchen for people to find a hot meal, to feed these kids and minister to these kids? You say, Pastor, you've absolutely lost your mind. I probably have lost my mind, but I know this. If I'm going to believe God, I might as well believe in big. I'm going to believe in big, folks. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to believe in big. Pastor, look around. We can't do that. I know. That's what the exciting thing is. That lets me know it ain't us. It's God's vision. Amen. For years, listen, for the last several years, we as a church have been sitting in a rowboat with oars in our hands on the bank Praying and believing God for enough rain for the water to rise so our boat can go somewhere. And here lately, the water's been rising and you can feel the boat rocking a little bit off the sandy shore. And it's starting to move a little bit and there's some excitement going, wow, man, something's getting ready to happen. And that rowboat is getting out there in the edge of that water. And I know it's like a lazy river where we're at right now. It's just kind of easy, easy. But I want to tell you something. That boat is about, the boat, the church, is about to pick up steam. And all of a sudden, I see the river start moving the boat quicker and quicker. And all of a sudden, I see rapids ahead. Folks, I want to tell you where we're headed. It's rapids. That's where we're going as a church. And what God's about to do, he's about to do it rapidly. 
And I want to warn you right now, it's going to get bumpy. It's going to get uncomfortable. It's going to feel like we've totally lost all control. But we will see great fruit for the kingdom of God. Glory to God. We've been on the bank waiting for it to happen, and I'm telling you, we're getting ready to head to some rapids. You're going to see them come in by the droves. We're going to see souls saved, and that's why we want our Rehoboth. In Genesis 26, 22, the scripture that we just read, look at the last part there. It says, and we will be fruitful in the land. The focus is not the Rehoboth. The focus is the fruit. I'm praying for thousands of people to be saved in our church. I'm praying for 100 million souls saved in America. Now, it's going to take every church, but I believe God will do it. Our mission is to connect people to Jesus Christ and to one another. It is not about a building and never been about a building. It is about the people coming to the building. It is about the fruit. It is about the lives being changed. That's what I want to see, the lives change. The people that leave and they say, wow, look what God did. I know somebody, they said, hey, Monday morning they got up and they said they were praying in the spirit. And they said, what a day it made. I mean, they were baptized, rebaptizing the Holy Spirit. Sunday, they said, Monday morning, I got up praying in the tongues, praying in the spirit, going to work full of joy. That's what I'm talking about. Isaiah 54, 1 through 5, shout for joy, O barren one. You know this passage. I preached it. This is the second passage God gave me for where he's taken us. But watch what's underlined. You who have borne no child, break forth into joyful shouting. Cry aloud, you have not travailed. For the sons of the desolate one will be more numerous than the sons of the married woman. That's fruit. That's souls. Says the Lord, enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out the curtains of your dwelling. Spare not. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your pads. For you will spread abroad. You will burst forth to the right and to the left. And your descendants will possess nations and will resettle the desolate cities. Fear not, for you will not be put to shame. And do not be feel humiliated, for you will not be disgraced. But you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more, for your husband is your maker. God's going to make it happen. Whose name is the Lord of hosts, and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, who is called the God of all the earth. Listen, sometimes churches get lost in what they're supposed to be doing and why they are doing it. And the first place that churches, I'm going to give you some master's level leadership training for just a minute here because we've got to get this as a church body. The first place that churches get stranded and lost in conflict is between mission and vision. And you'll notice on the screen as they put that up for me, you'll see that mission is actually over vision. And many churches, they get it backwards. It's all about the vision, vision, vision. Well, it's not. It's everything is by the mission. The mission is to connect people to Jesus Christ and one another. But the mission statement does not motivate action. It merely polices or guards the vision. The vision statement does motivate action. And the first place where churches flounder is between vision being different than mission. And many churches confuse this. Vision has to fall in place with the mission statement. So I could say, hey, I'd like to have a thousand people here next Sunday. 
And someone says, well, I know how we'll get them here. We'll give everybody free vouchers at the casino in Kentucky for free beer and $50 worth of slot machines. We'll get 1,000 people here. Well, while we probably would get 1,000 people here, that certainly violates the mission of connecting people to Jesus Christ and one another and, oh, like, you know, living for God and on, being holy. (laughs) If I go to First National Bank and the sign on the wall says, we exist to make your dreams come true, and I have a check that I want to cash, and I walk up to the teller who is looking down, paying no attention to me and smacking their gum, and I say, excuse me, ma'am, I'd like to cash this check. She looks up as if she's been very bothered by me bothering her, irritated. And she says very curtly, you'll need three forms of ID. I said, well, ma'am, I have two forms of ID. I just want to cash this check. And I do have an account here. She says, sir, it's going to be three forms of ID. I said, well, ma'am, you don't understand. I'm just here to cash this check. And I have two forms of ID. And I also have an account here. Listen up, pal. You're not cashing this check here until you give me three forms of ID. I say, ma'am, your wall says that you live to make my dreams come true. And right now, my dream is to cash this check. This is a lady that has forgotten she's part of something bigger than herself. She's forgotten that her vision needs to connect to the mission, which is make my dreams come true as a, as a customer. And I'm afraid in many churches that we fall into this very trap. Right before I got married, a friend of mine in college lived up in Connecticut. And he said, hey, why don't you come visit me? I thought, well, I ain't married yet. I'm going. So I did. I went up there. Man, we had a ball for about a week. Went to New York, Boston, wherever. And we were going to the grocery store one night late in Hartford, Connecticut. And there were two lines open. We only had a couple of things. There was a lady here and a guy there where I was closest to the lady. So I picked her line. I walked up, no greeting. She's smacking her gum, looking at her nails. I set the stuff down, and she looks at me, and she said, why'd you pick my line? Why couldn't you go to his? I said, well, you were the closest. She grabbed the stuff. That'll be so-and-so. That is a person that has forgotten that the mission of the grocery store is to attract customers, not repel them. And you know, I'm not saying that we're struggling with this by any means. We're a very friendly church. My point is we are here to attract people to the church. Our vision has to match connecting people to Jesus Christ and to one another. Someone say a good amen. We are here to connect people to Jesus and one another. And our next, listen, our next step, our next big step is to get into our Rehoboth. And we're working feverishly trying to do that. Oh, oh, turning over every stone, believe me. But our Rehoboth is not a means to an end. It's not an end. It is the means to an end. Our Rehoboth is, is a building. It's just a tool. It's just a tool for, to reach more people for Christ. So if I take this and I want to build a house, I mean, these are great, right? This will do a great job. But this isn't the vision. If I want to build a house, 
this is a great tool. I can use this as a drill. I can use it as a screwdriver. I can use it as a lot of things. But this is here to help build a house. This hammer is useless on its own. But in my hands, it is a tool to be used to the further the vision. I have a vision. I say, I want to build a house. So we get our tools together, and we use our drills and our hammers and our channel locks here and our tape measures, and we use these tools because we want to build a house, right? So this is not the end all. This is to get us where we want us to be. Listen, our husband is no different than this tool set right here. I'm going to put this in my back pocket. And maybe that'll help. I, this tool is no different than our Rehoboth. Our Rehoboth is just a building. It's just going to be brick and mortar. It's just going to be sheetrock. It is nothing. But in the hands of God and us using it properly, we're going to use that building and that property to build God's house. And God's house is not a building like this. It is the bride of Christ. It is the people. Somebody say a good amen. And I want you to look at your neighbor and say, hey, you're like that hammer. <laughs> look at him and I say, you're like that hammer. You're a tool in the hands of God. Somebody say amen. Now, I didn't say tell them they're a tool. <laughs> Easy. First Timothy 1.15 says it this way. This is a faithful saying of worthy of all accepted. Watch this. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. If he came in the world to save sinners, that's what we're going to do. We are tools. Everything that we're going to have, buildings, whatever, is all just a tool. It is not the end. I, I, I can't stress that enough. Ever, don't not, do not think, well, we get to the building. We've arrived. Uh-uh. That's just the time to put the foot on the gas and get people. People in there to see them saved. Luke 19, 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. The second place where churches get stranded in conflict is between strategy and tactics. And you'll notice strategy comes before tactics. Tactics are done to do an immediate result. And way too many churches spend way too much time on this. As a matter of fact, when COVID hit, that's all churches did. Tactic, tactic, tactic. Putting fires out, basically. Strategy is a comprehensive set of plans and goals to fulfill the vision. It's where church spends uh, time ensuring that fire never happens to begin with. So you turn on the news tonight and there's a hostage situation in downtown Cincinnati. I pray I'm not prophetic, but let's just use this as an example. And what do they do? They call the SWAT, what? Tactical team. To come out and try to defuse the situation. They'll have snipers on buildings. And if necessary, they're going to take the bad guy out. Well, three blocks down in a high-rise building in downtown Cincinnati, you could possibly have the mayor, the city council, the police chief, the fire chief, all meeting trying to figure out how to reduce crime. That's strategy. Strategy says we're going to put something in place to keep a fire from happening. Tactics is all about just keep putting the fires out. And I want to tell you, for the last several years, we have been in absolute tactical survival mode in this church. 
We come, we set up, we tear down every week. We crank the van, we move the trailer around. We get the things off the trailer, we set it all up. We have people here to get everything set up. After church, we tear it all down, put it back in the van, in the trailer, take it over and put it, park it where it is. Pray to God it cranks the next week. On and on, music rehearsals are not really rehearsals. They're to try to figure out where all the problems are, which they are every single week, and hopefully fix them in a timely manner so that we can worship and have church. Very difficult to have strategy about our Sundays. But I want to tell you, strategy is to get past the week and week, week to week, a process of what I'm talking about into our own building. Strategy is to get everything set up and like leave it up all week long. It is to test all the equipment during the week so that we don't waste time on Sundays doing it. Strategy is to get three really good professional cameras like what they got here so that we can put a good product out on on Sunday so people around the world can watch it, and so it prepares us for further campus expansion when the time comes. Strategy is to have golf carts and golf cart drivers and attendants in the parking lot, so when there's so many people and they have to park in the back 40, we can pick them up with a golf cart and we can bring them right to the front door. Strategy is to be prepared for all the people that are coming. Somebody say Amen. At a fringe church that I was at recently, they were totally out of parking. I was blown away by this. They had no, I mean, they didn't even, they had, they had stuff tore up everywhere, crush and run down. Some of the parking was repaid, but the parking lot was in such a bad place. They had to tear it all up. They had to bulldoze trees and gardeners. They had to every little space, and they're preparing it to make parking for all the people. Well, they realized that in doing this, the strategy, the long-term plan was to fix the parking lot. The short-term plan was we got to figure a way to get people in the church building because you can't tear the whole place up and park people at the same time. So I saw these buses coming in and out, and I finally said, man, what, you know, what's the deal about these buses? They said, oh, was the parking, and they they literally bust people in. These are people like us that have vehicles. They can't go to the church in their own vehicle because they can't park them. They told me they bust in over a thousand church members every Sunday. The pastor said, I thought we were going to lose them all. He said, I just thought, man, ain't nobody going to go for this. There were a thousand people riding on buses. Now, that's a wonderful tactic for right now. But that's certainly not a long-term strategy, right? So when they get the parking lot finished, they're not going to have to bus in thousands of people anymore. Maybe new people, but certainly not the people that have vehicles. You know, their, their long-term vision is to just keep bussing everybody in. They, they want to fix the problem by having plenty of parking. That's the difference between strategy and tactics. And we've got to move ourselves towards more strategy. Here's some strategy. Well, while we have to be out here at 3 o'clock on a Sunday, we can reach more people for Jesus Christ and reach new people through small groups. It's hard to get somebody to come way out here at 3 o'clock and all these things. So what's the strategy we put in place? Well, we're going to put a lot of effort into our small groups. So I do a small group called Model Man. I have three totally unchurched men that come to my small group. I was just told Dwayne and Deanna yesterday had a couple of families that attended their small group that haven't been in church in a long, long time. They're unchurched. I was told that Gerardo and Leanne, they were thinking, well, 
we'll just have, Leanne said, well, we'll just probably just be me and Gerardo and Heather. That'll be it. And then to her great delight and great surprise, guess what? They had six unchurched visitors from their apartment complex show up their small group on Sunday. Can we give God praise for that? We have unchurched people coming to small groups. That's a strategy. That's a long-term strategy that we're going to continue to do. If you run a small group, invite unchurched people to them. They will come. The proof is in the pudding. Somebody say amen. I got three unchurched guys showing up at 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning. Makes me think there might be 3,000 to show up when we have a building. But I've got them coming. They're coming every week. They're loving it. I haven't seen them in here just yet. But we will in Jesus' name somewhere along the way. Listen, there is a way to reach unchurched people. Get them in your homes. Get them in your small groups. And the final place where churches flounder and mess up is the difference between purpose and function. And I really want to hit this for just a few minutes. These are people who find themselves being defined by what they do, but not why they do it. Purpose comes before function. I need you to hear this. Too often in the church, we lose sight of purpose. And you get people doing the same things over and over, and now all they care about is their job and not overall vision and how it affects the church. So when people get caught up in function, they can become the number one reason why vision isn't coming to pass. I'll use some examples that don't apply. Let's just say we got a guy who's been showing up for 20 years making hot dogs for the kids on Wednesday night because the kids need something to eat in the youth group. So he shows up, they get a new youth pastor, and the youth pastor shows up, and he says, hey, uh, I think we'd like to have some pizza next week. The guy looks at the new youth pastor, and he says, nope, not going to do it. He says, what do you mean? We want to change it up, have some pizza. He says, listen, I've been showing up here for 20 years making hot dogs. And he said, I'm going to be here next Wednesday at 530, and I'm going to boil hot dogs, and somebody's going to eat them, because that's what I do. There is a guy that has totally lost sight of the fact that you're like there to to serve the kids and what they want. It is so easy to get locked into our own personal function of what we do and how we want to do it. And we got to understand this stuff means business. A very large church in Texas said a testimony, said the lady in the church got one of her friends, finally got her to come to church. She'd been after her. She said, well, I'll get there, but I may be late. I got the kids. She said, that's okay, I'll save you a seat. We'd love to have you. It's going to be great. You're going to love it. The lady showed up a little late. She got her kids in kids' church and nursery, got them all settled, came to the door, and there's an usher at the door, and he said, I'm sorry, ma'am, we're full. She said, oh, she said, I'm running late. She said, but my friend is is here waiting on me. He said, ma'am, I'm sorry, but there are no seats in this auditorium. She said, oh, oh, my friend's saving me a seat. She's just... Right over there, she's trying to get in there to come worship. And the usher got very stern. He said, lady, you're not getting in here. Now, that unchurched lady turned around, walked out, went and got her kids and went home. That's a man who totally forgot the reason he's being an usher is to, like, serve people and not the rule. Pastor told me, don't let nobody in. Well, that person has somebody saving a seat. You let them in. You walk them to it. Somebody say amen. Is this all right? I'm going to keep going. So number four is this. I want you to see this slide on the LED screen here. You'll see 
the picture that we have. Mission flows down to vision, strategy, tactics, purpose, and function. Function is what you do in the church. So I should be able to look at our mission statement that says, we're here to connect people to Jesus Christ and to one another and follow it all the way down to what you're doing and say, yep, that person is serving because they're doing it to connect people to Jesus Christ and one another. I should also, vice versa, be able to look at what you're doing and chase it all the way up and say, wow, they're doing this because they want to win souls for Jesus Christ. Is this okay? So if you get this mixed up, watch this. We don't have a custodian, so I can use this example. If you get this mixed up, the custodian will actually start to get mad and angry at the people attending church. Well... Wasn't for all these dad blabbit brats running around here tearing everything up. And it wasn't for all these sloppy adults leaving their garbage in our pews every Sunday and tracking in snow and ice and salt and making a mess of the place. I could clean this place and it would stay clean. Well, yeah. But wouldn't that violate the whole reason we exist and that is to connect people to Jesus Christ and one another? You see, the custodian's job is not to clean a dirty room. Listen, the custodian's job is to prepare the room to get dirty. We're here to win souls at any means necessary short of sin. Kids' church, well, I'm in here with these children, and I don't have volunteers, and I don't have budget. Nobody loves me. And if you're not careful, then the preschool teacher will start to not only resent the children, they'll start resenting the parents who supply the children. Well, if it wasn't for all these kids around here, I might could have some peace on a Sunday. If they just quit bringing in all these snotty, oh, here they come again. Great, every Sunday. And now they're bringing more with them. They're making my ministry miserable. If we just get rid of the kids, we could have some peace on Sunday. Yeah, well, like that's the whole reason for church is to win more kids. Amen. We want people back there in kids' church, preschool, and nursery that want more kids, that want to wipe snotty noses and want to hear the squealing voices and want to love on the children and not resent the parents. Are you hearing what I'm saying? What are you going to do? Okay, it's four to five kids now in the preschool. What are you going to do when it's 40 or 50 kids? That's where we're headed, folks. What are you going to do when it's 200 children in kids' church? What are you going to do when it's 50 preschoolers? I'm preaching to somebody because that's where we're headed. Are you going to resent the children and the parents who bring them because they make ministry harder? Are you going to celebrate the fact that we are accomplishing our mission and vision to uh, to, uh, connect people to Jesus Christ and one another and to see souls saved? Listen, our ministry is not about being easy, relaxed, and all these. It's about how many people can we possibly catch for Jesus Christ. This can also happen with the church administrator treasurer. So Dale could easily come in on the staff meetings and say, I just got something to say, Pastor, before you start this staff meeting. You know, if all you people would quit spending all this money, we might have a few dollars in the bank. 
If you quit spending this money on ministry, we might actually have some money here. We could really be, I got these plans, Pastor. We could build up this account. We could have all this money. We just quit doing all this ministry. If you just quit reaching out to those young people, Megan, if you'll quit supplying all the teachers with great lessons so they can teach the children, Pastor, if you'd stop with all these harebrained ideas to reach people for Jesus, we could save all the money that comes in the doors. Wouldn't that be great? Well, you could save money, but there's a big problem with that. The whole reason we get the money is to use it for ministry to win people to Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. The money's just a tool. The money, the tithes and offerings is a tool to be used for ministry to win souls. Somebody say amen. Honest to goodness, the only church I've ever been in, Dale is the only one I've ever seen that understands that while he's the bean counter, they ain't his beans. Do you see how this can get messed up? Folks, we're not a bank. We're a church to win souls. So how do you connect? How do you as the small group leader connect what you're doing to the overall vision of the church? You know, we got a little thing that I taught the small group leaders, and we're going to check on this here in just a few minutes. They're supposed to put an empty chair out, and everybody in their group is supposed to come in agreement for that one chair. It's an empty chair. It's always empty, and they're going to pray every day for a lost person to come until that person fits that chair. Craig Rochelle pastors the largest church in America. It's over 50,000. He testified. Listen, he got saved, and he finally was in the cafeteria at school, and he saw some Christians, and I, I, I don't want to share the whole long story, but he walked over, and he said, hey guys, can I sit with you? This is Craig Rochelle, if you know him. 50,000 people. One kid stand up, started crying. He said, is it true? He said, you really got saved? Listen, he said, we all prayed for you by name for a year that God would save you. Little did they know they were praying for a guy that's going to lead the church, American church in the size of how big they are now and the things that he's done. How do you know the person you put in that chair, what difference they're going to make? What, what are you going to do, church, where instead of 100 people on a Sunday, it's 500, 1,000, 5,000? At that fringe church I was at recently, they called. You might remember, those of you who've been in church a well, while, how many of you remember Arvel Ogle? Anybody remember Arvel? Okay, the Canes do. Probably nobody. Okay, anyways, they used to be at the church a long time ago. He said, hey, we got a girl sick. We were just down there for their prayer conference. He called me in the morning. He said, we got a girl sick. He said, she can't make it to sing. He said, you think Holly would want to sing? I said, I'm sure she would. So Holly got there. What time we need to be at five? So we get there at five, and I thought, well, I ain't going to sit around and do nothing. So I looked at the guy who was helping me. I said, hey, what do you want me to do? By 5.30, it's chaos in the church for a 7 o'clock Thursday night service. I said, what do you want me to do? He goes, just sit back and relax. I said, no, I can't do that. i got to serve somewhere. He said, well, I don't know what to tell you. I went to another guy. He gave me the same answer. So finally, I went back to the first guy, and I said, here's what I'm going to do, Felix. I'm going to the front door to greet people. He said, have at it. I went to that front door, and before, by the time I got to that front door at 6, there was, already, there, was, there was as many as you sitting in there trying to get into the building so they could get a good seat for the Thursday night service. This is a church that seats over 1,000. At 6 o'clock, I was opening the door with some lady I just met. The, the greeters were coming over to meet their new greeter. They didn't even know who I was. 
There were so many, and 120 greeters that they're trying to communicate with every service. And I'm, I'm opening the door and I'm greeting. And you could hardly close the door before a new family's coming in. I'm telling you, between 6 and 6.30, the place, they were, it was over, overrun with people. You couldn't even stand. They had to open the doors early to get people in. They were so hungry. People, the next day, somebody came up and said, man, I want to come meet the new greeter. I said, I'm the visiting pastor from out of town. Amen. You only got me for this week. But my point is, is that, wow, how cool is that? But listen, here's my point. What are you going to do, guest services? Where instead of having to be here 15 minutes here early, we need you here a minimum of an hour early. Because people are pouring in and want to come into the glory of Almighty God. What are you going to do when it's not just 15 or 20 minutes, but man, I got to get here early to welcome people to church. Let me close with a story. One pastor just testified that he started a church in a little small town in Georgia of 800 people. It's a typical small Georgia town. Went there 34 years ago and started with 18 to 25 people. They started praying, and the church started growing. The leadership finally came to them. They said, Pastor, we really need you to not move so much when you preach. He said, why? He said, well, because we're full in here. And he said, there are people literally on the porch area looking through the window, listening through the screen, to hear the message to come to church. They can't even get in the building. And when you run like you do, they lose sight of you. So we really need you to confine you to this little area so they can at least see you. So he went to the elders and he said, hey, we're going to have to build a building. This ain't going to work. So I don't know, Pastor. We're going to build a building. Oh, I don't know about that. So he called a leadership meeting. He said, well, he said, we got a problem. He said, we got all these people. They're hanging out in the yard. I mean, it's like something for the New Testament. He said, they're everywhere. So he said, I, the way I see a church, he said, we got two options. He said, option number one, we build a church big enough to accommodate everybody and reach more people. Get them out of the yard, out of the front porch, and in the building. They said, okay, what's option number two? He said, I go out to the marquee, and I say, go to hell, because we don't have room for you. They looked around, and they said, pastor, we think we ought to build. And in a church of 800 people in small town Georgia, last Sunday they had 8,500 people in attendance. Because the pastor and the leadership said, we will do everything we can to win people to Jesus Christ. I felt so moved in my spirit all week long to say, folks, this is where we're headed. It's going to get bumpy. It's going to get uncomfortable. I mean, you could be on guest services, and I'm telling you, I can see it coming now. Bless God. I got to walk this family down to the nursery. I get back. I don't even get back. I got to walk this next family down to the kids' church. I don't even get halfway back. Take this one. Show them where the bathroom is. Take it. Can't get back. I got to show them now where the adult sanctuary is. Man, if everybody would just chill and relax, well, for all these new people, I could sit back, relax, and talk to my friends. 
If it wasn't for all these new people coming to Christ, I might could actually have some peace on a Sunday. I want to tell you, man, we're going to have peace Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, whatever day you want. But on Sunday, I hope we're so overrun with new people that you're like at a track meet. You're breathing heavy going, I don't know, somebody's going to have to pass the baton. i got to take a water break because we got so many people, I don't know what to do with them all. I mean, I want to see so many people come in. We don't have enough people praying at the altars for them. I want to see some of your family come running in, getting saved. Well, Lord, we were praying for them. Listen, if just your family alone came in and got saved, we'd be overrunning with them. Well, what about all the other people in two million people, greater Cincinnati? If God can reach 8,500 in a town of 800, he can reach that many in a town of two million. Somebody shout amen. That's why we want our Rehoboth is to win more souls. That's what we're after. I'll lead you in communion. We're going to pray. I want you just to maintain this holy atmosphere, this holy environment. Does everybody have the elements? Is there anybody that doesn't? 